Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along with me. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be picking it up. Uh, actually, we're looking at verse 11 through the end of the chapter. And this section of scriptures uh, deals with the ministry of reconciliation. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the ministry of reconciliation and uh, what you and I need to know about it based on what Paul writes here in his letter uh, to the Corinthians. And, uh, you know, it's interesting as I've gone through and preparing for this message, I was amazed at how many verses or how many phrases are found in this section of, pass of Scripture that you could probably do a Bible study on each one. It's amazing and uh, certainly uh, good for like fridge magnets or bumper stickers or something. It's just really, there's just some real great nuggets and hopefully uh, we'll be looking at those as we go through this passage of Scripture. So the ministry of reconciliation, what you and I need to know about it. And the very first thing we need to know, actually the very first thing we need to do is pray. So let's go ahead and go Lord in prayer. Father, we do come before you. Lord, we're thankful. And uh, Lord, I just ask your blessing now on the teaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, before we get into the ministry of, of reconciliation that Paul is talking about, I want to back up for a minute. And the very first point that I want to look at is to understand what is at stake, to understand what is at stake? And so I'm going to actually back up to uh, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust we are well known in your consciences. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 talks about a judgment, and it's known as the Bema seat judgment. This is a judgment that is only for believers. We talked about it last week, if you were here or if you were watching online. Um, this is not a judgment uh, of believers' sins, because we know from the, from the Word of God that Jesus Christ he atoned for our sins on the cross when he died on the cross for our sins. So this is not a judgment regarding sin for the believer, but what it is is it's a, it's a judgment regarding rewards for the believer. Um, what you and I have done in the body of Christ as believers. And you might be thinking this morning, you know, uh, I'm just glad I'm in heaven or I'm going to be in heaven. I'm just glad that Jesus saved my soul. I don't really need rewards. You know, it's not a big deal to me. Uh, trust me you're going to want rewards um, when you get to heaven. And the reason why I say that is because what we read in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Now this is talking about John has a vision of heaven uh, in Revelation. It's actually a revelation of Jesus Christ, but he sees 24 elders in heaven. And I personally believe that these 24 elders are representative of the church of, of the bride of Christ. 
But it says in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 of Revelation, it says, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. When we get to heaven and we see how worthy Jesus Christ is, when we finally get the full understanding of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we are going to want to give every reward that we possibly can to Jesus Christ. We're going to want to throw down any crown that we've received. And when we're done throwing down our crowns, we're like, man, I wish I had more crowns that I could throw at Jesus Christ, throw at his feet because he is so worthy so I guarantee you are going to want rewards. And this is what this Bema Seat Judgment is dealing with. It's rewards. What have you and I done in, the bottom, uh, in, the, uh, in, our, in our bodies as Christians? And so at the judgment seat of Christ, we, again, we talked about it last week, believers are going to be judged by their actions and their motives as what they did as believers. And so Paul is referring to that in verses um, 10. And then in verse 11, he says this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now that word terror of the Lord, that sounds, it's probably not the best translation. I probably better understood the fear of the Lord. And uh, Hebrews uh, 4 verse 13, I want to read this to you. It says, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So everyone is accountable to God. And even believers, we talked about that with the judgment seat, uh, judgment, the Bema seat judgment, excuse me. But also in Hebrews, we read in chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. And, and Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, I should say, is, is writing to, his, to the Christians, that, the Hebrew Christians, and he says, You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And so, again, we're accountable to Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat Judgment. We will be rewarded as based on what we did, what our motives were in what we did um, at that judgment, and it's what we did in the body of Christ as believers. But we also know during our life as believers, there are times when the Lord chastens us and he disciplines us. Again, it's not because he hates us. The Bible says here, it's, it's, it's like a father. What father would allow his child to go off in a bad direction without correcting him? And so that's what Jesus Christ does to us because he loves us. So we have this judgment that we know that we're accountable for, a judgment of rewards. We also know that from time to time when we're in sin or we're going off in the wrong direction, that we get disciplined by the Lord. Well, Peter says this, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? 
So Paul is talking about the terror, the fear of the Lord. You know, it's a realization, hey, I'm going to be judged as a Christian, again, not for sin, because that was judged by Jesus, or it was paid for on the cross, but I'm accountable for my life as a believer to, to, to the Lord. Plus, I know that during my life, I might get disciplined from time to time from the Lord. Now, you look at those things and you go, well, okay, that's severe enough. It's, it's, it's serious enough. But what about the unbeliever? What about the person that completely rejects the Lord Jesus Christ? They're going to be accountable to him as well. They are going to appear before the Lord as well at a different judgment. And that judgment is described in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. It's known as the great white throne judgment. It says, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is a judgment of unbelievers. Are their names uh, written in the Lamb's book of life? And if not, then they are cast into the lake of fire. Such a serious thing that you think about. Well, what's the, you know, how does a person's name get written into the Lamb's book of life? Well, we will be talking about that towards the end of our message, but I want to read a couple scriptures to you. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That should send shivers down everyone's spine. The wrath of God abides on someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the first thing we need to understand about the ministry of reconciliation is what's at stake. And it literally is a matter of life and death. In this case, a matter of eternal life or eternal separation from God, eternal death. And so knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, Paul says, we persuade men because we know what is the end result of those that do not accept Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing we're to understand. What's at stake? It should give us a sense of urgency, a sense of importance in the ministry of reconciliation. It's an important thing that you and I have been given. The second thing we need to understand is how people are going to view us. Look at verse, uh, second half of verse 11. I'll, I'll back up and I'll read verse 11 itself. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in the heart. You know, everyone knows important people, right? You can, you, we can, especially in our culture today, you can rattle off lists of people that you know, popular people, influential people, uh, people in government, you know, politicians, where we know important people, and that's really not a big deal because pretty much everybody knows important people. It's a bigger deal if that important person knows you. It's a much bigger deal. It's like, yeah, I know, I, I know President Trump. It's like, big deal. So does everybody else in the world. But does President Trump know me? Well, that's a bigger deal. Well, the same thing with Jesus Christ. There's a, not, a lot of people in our culture that know about Jesus. Oh, yeah, I know. I've read the Bible or I've watched the movie or, you know, I've, I've seen the, you know, I've, I've, I know I went to Sunday school when I was a kid or whatever. They know about Jesus. But the question isn't, the big deal isn't do you know about Jesus? The question is, does Jesus know you? 
In other words, do you have a personal relationship with him? Well, Paul had a relationship with Jesus Christ. He had a personal relationship with Jesus. And Paul knew that his actions and his motives were pure before the Lord. The Corinthian church knew Paul as well, too, because Paul spent a lot of time there ministering among them. They watched, they not only heard what he said, but they watched how he lived his life. They saw the struggles that he, that he, that he went through as a, as a servant of the Lord. And so the Corinthian church knew Paul, but unfortunately, after Paul had left Corinth, there were those that had slipped into the church that were casting doubts on Paul. They were, they were doubting his sincerity. They were doubting his character and his motives. And Paul wasn't trying here, you know, he's saying here, uh, uh, I also trust we are well known in your consciences for we do not commend ourselves again to you. But, you know, Paul wasn't trying to vindicate himself before the Corinthians. You know, it's like, I got I to gotta get my reputation. You know, somebody doesn't believe good, the best about me, so I got to straighten it out. That wasn't what Paul's motive was. Paul understood that if his character was called into question, then his message was also called into question. It would be. They would look at the messenger and they would judge the message by the messenger. Your and my message of reconciliation to the world around us, it's always heard in the context of our character. It's always heard in the context of our character. People hear what we say but they also see what we do. They watch our lives. They want to know, okay, I hear what you're saying, but how does it work for you in your life? I have a friend from many years ago, and he was sharing me about this. He was in L.A., and uh, he was handing out gospel tracts uh, in somewhere in L.A., and uh, he came up to one guy, and he said, hey, I'd like to give you this gospel tract. And the guy says, hey, Keep your tracks for yourself. I'm going to watch your tracks. <laughs> I thought that was, <laughs> but that's true, you know. People watch us. Our message is, is influenced or, or the impact of our message is influenced by our character. And so we as believers, we know that we should not only avoid evil, but even what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, we should abstain from all appearance of evil. You might say, well, you know what? They just don't know my heart. Yeah, I'm doing it. But they, they don't understand that. Well, they're not going to understand. They're not looking at your heart. They're looking at what you're doing, and they're judging your heart based on what you're doing. And so we need to be aware of that, that we are being watched. And so even the appearance of evil, we need to avoid. Verse 13, for if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. Or if, we have our, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. When Paul says to be beside yourself, and you've probably heard that phrase before. It's not something like ancient language or anything. It really means to be out of your mind or to be insane. And, you know, Paul's conduct was to serve God and to help the Corinthians. And that's all that mattered to Paul. And sometimes Paul was very zealous about how he ministered in that way. And so Paul didn't really care about what people thought about him. And in Acts chapter 26, 
verse 24, we read about where Paul, he's in chains. He's before Festus, uh, the governor, and uh, he's giving his defense. And in Acts 26, 24, it says, Now as he made thus, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. In other words, he's saying, Paul, you're insane. You know, Paul's in good company because Jesus was accused of that too. In Mark 3, verse 21, it says, But when his own people heard about this, about what Jesus was saying, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, Man, he's out of his mind. See, we need to understand how people view us. Our actions can undermine our message. We talked about that a little earlier. But we need to also understand that even when we have uh, the right actions and the right motives, we're going to run the risk of being labeled crazy or insane. And uh, it just goes with the territory. And you're in good company if they do because, uh, you know, Paul was called insane. Jesus was, they said he's out of his mind. So, you know, you don't want to be weird for weirdness sake, right? You don't want to be just bizarre. Um, but if you're labeled bizarre for Jesus Christ, hey, praise the Lord, you're in good company. You run the risk of being labeled crazy by unbelievers for certain, but sometimes even by lukewarm believers. They always go, man, it's just cool your horses, you know? Cool your jets a little bit. Why? Because maybe they're feeling a little conviction by how you're living your life. So we need to understand um, how people view us. And especially in the area of our character, we need to understand that people are watching us just as much, probably even more than listening to us. So the next thing that we need to understand about our ministry of reconciliation is what is your motive? And Paul talks about his motive here in verses 14 and 15. This is Paul's motive. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again what was Paul's motive Paul's motive was the love of Christ now Paul isn't saying it's my love for Christ that's compelling me it's Christ's love for Paul Paul wrote this in Romans 5, verses 5 through 8. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You hear it all the time. If God's a God of love, why does he allow this? Why does he allow COVID-19 to exist in the world? If God's a God of love, why did he allow uh, that gentleman to be murdered in, Saint, in Minneapolis? If God's a God of love, why is there suffering in the world? Well, the answer is God did the most he could do to demonstrate his love by sending his son to die on a cross. Would you give your child to die for someone that didn't deserve it? To, 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 to die a death, a, a horrible death because, because of some, what somebody else did? No, I don't know any parent that would do that. But God the Father did that with Jesus Christ. There's no greater love that a man could show than to lay down his, to, to give his son for us. And of course, Jesus Christ was the obedient son. 
Jesus Christ willing. It wasn't like he was, you know, kicking and dragging and, and put on the cross by God, the Father. No, Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. The understanding, the realization of that love, man, that's what compelled Paul to understand that. You know, love is the greatest motivator. It's the greatest motivator. You know, fear of pain, I don't like getting hurt. Fear of death, those are good motivators. I, I watched a, 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 a kind of a history thing about the mob in uh, Chicago, and the, that they were, you know, they got people motivated because they'd lose fingers or they'd be killed or, you know, family members would die. And so that was a great motivator for people. And so the mob was able to really get a lot done there in Chicago back in the, uh, in the Prohibition days. Um, but the thing is, when the fear of pain or the fear of death is passed, that motivation's gone, right? It's only as long as you're afraid you're going to die or you're afraid you're going to get hurt, then you're motivated. Well, the love of God, and we're talking agape love, God's love, it's not dependent on being, you know, loved back. God doesn't, didn't wait for us to love him before he sent his son to die on the cross. The Bible says when we were enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. It's not based on an object's worth, like, you know, their worth love or their actions, God's love was poured out on you and I. And that's God's love in Christ Jesus for us. And so, um, and so that love is such a motivator for us. Now it's interesting, that word uh, in, uh, I'm reading out of the New King James, and it says, uh, uh, verse 14 says, for the love of Christ compels us. Now, if you had a old, or the King James Version, this is a new King James, the word is constraints. And, you know, when you think of constraints, it's almost like it's confining and limiting and stuff. And, and that's why uh, I think the new King James, I think it's a little bit easier to understand what it says it compels us. Because the thing is, when you understand Christ's love, you understand everything that he did for you and that he is doing for you even now, it's like, man, I can't do anything but. I, I, I just got to serve him. I got to love him. I got, I've got to live my life for him. And that's how Paul lived his life. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So you think about Jesus. You hear he, he's born in very poor circumstances. Um, he didn't live to be popular. Well, he became popular, but he didn't live for popularity. He didn't live for power. Uh, he didn't live for wealth. Certainly didn't live for wealth or to be comfortable. Um, he basically lived to die. None of us live to die. We live to live, right? We, we, death is the last thing, you know, it's like we're trying to avoid death. But Jesus Christ lived in order that he could die for you and for me. He lived to die for mankind's sin. And so the question is, if he did that for me, what am I doing for him? I'm not earning my salvation, obviously. But am I living for myself or am I living for him? If we have that great understanding of Christ's love, man, it should compel us to live our lives for him. So... Earlier I mentioned we need to understand how people view us. Then we talked about our motives. But the next thing I want to look at is how do you view others? And that's another important aspect of the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. 
even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love this chapter. There's so many nuggets. So that's just, like I said, you could do a Bible study on each one of those uh, verses. How do you view others? Well, first of all, there's two different categories of people, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. There's either saved and unsaved. That's really, I mean, you know, the world separates people by, you know, race and skin color and occupation and social status and all that stuff. When it comes down to eternal life, you're either saved or you're not saved. That's the two categories in that, that really matter. And so how do you view those that are unsaved? How do you view unbelievers? Well, before, you know, maybe we had a fear of men. You know, maybe, maybe someone, you know, we were a respecter of persons. That person seems powerful and influential. Um, or maybe we look at them in another way. Maybe we look at them like they're too hostile to receive the message. Man, I don't even want to, that, that person just looks like they would just explode if I said something to them about Jesus Christ. Or maybe we look at a person and we go, you know what, they're not even worth the effort. I can't stand them. You know, whatever it is. Uh, that, that's how we maybe we used to view people. But Paul says, man, I don't look at people that way anymore. I just look at people that need salvation. They need Jesus Christ. See, that's the way we should look at people. No one, doesn't matter how popular, how powerful, how wealthy, how hostile they might be to the gospel message, everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs to be saved to be born again in order to enter into eternal life. So how do we view unbelievers? We look at the need. They need Jesus Christ. Well, how do we view believers? I love that. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Stop looking at them as how they used to be. Look at them how they are now in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Listen, if you're listening today online, or maybe you're here in the room here, you know, and you're tired of yourself. I've been tired of myself many times. Tired of your lifestyle. Uh, tired of the choices that you've made. Maybe you feel like you're a slave to sin, or you're, you're just stuck in old habits. Well, you can be a new creation in Christ Jesus this morning. I mean, that, there's nothing better there's no, there's no greater news than that, that you can be a new creation in Christ. And I'm going to talk about that later on how you can do that. So how do you view others? Unbelievers, man, they need the gospel. They need Jesus Christ in their lives. Sometimes, you know, if you're dealing with a difficult person, try to keep that in focus. They just need the Lord. They need the Lord. I'm going to just, maybe I can't, maybe I can't talk to them in person because they're just, they, they hate my guts. You know, every time I get in their face, they hate me because of what I represent or something. I'm just going to pray for them. But, you know, as you pray for people, your heart changes towards them. So it's a good thing to do. So how do you view people? Unbelievers, man, pray for them. Know that they need the Lord, need the Savior, especially when they're very antagonistic. Just know, man, they, they just, they need Jesus. And then, of course, believers, 
Man, just look at each other's. We're all new creations. You know, in, in uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, there was one issue that Paul was dealing with with the church in Corinth, and that was food sacrifice to idols, meat sacrifice to idols specifically. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of, uh, uh, they were known as shanties in in. Uh, in Corinth where um, the meat that had been sacrificed in the temple to Diana or whatever whatever idol they temp- worshipped them to, you know, offered them to, they then took that meat, the great cuts of meat, and they would sell it in the open marketplace. And so, hey, you want to get a good price, of, you know, get a good slab of meat or whatever, man, you just go to this place and you buy it. And and so there were some people that had the freedom to do that. They were buying meat, you know, and, and they'd go home and they'd, they'd have a barbecue and they'd invite their friends over. Um, and uh, But then there were some people that that had been, you know, they were idol worshipers. They had been involved in that in Corinth, and then they finally came to the faith in Jesus Christ. They're like, I don't want to have anything to do with idolatry anymore. And so then you would invite them to their house, and they'd come there and go, what? That meat was sacrificed to an idol? And you're like, yeah, what's the big deal, man? It was cheap. You know, I'm, I'm Dutch. You know, they probably weren't Dutch in Corinth. But, um, you know, so people were getting offended. And, and so Paul was dealing with that in 1 Corinthians. And at one point Paul says, you know what? If, if I'm going to stumble another brother or sister, I just won't eat meat anymore. Now, I haven't got to that place myself, by the way. So I'm not quite as noble as Paul. I still love meat. Um, but anyways, <laughs> but, but uh, seriously, you know, Paul says, hey, if what I'm doing is going to stumble, and I'm paraphrasing, if I'm doing what is going to cause a brother to stumble whom Christ died for, then I won't do it. See, that's a good way to view it other, other believers. Sometimes we get irritated with one another. We say things that offend people or whatever. Uh, you know, we just got to remember, Jesus Christ died for that person just like he died for me. He is just as unworthy of salvation, or she is just as unworthy of salvation as, as I am. I'm not worthy of it either. And so it's a good way to view believers as well. So how do you view others? It's a good, it's a good thing when you're looking at the ministry of reconciliation. The next thing is, how do you view yourself? Look at verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I love that. All things are of God. I didn't initiate reconciliation. I didn't complete my reconciliation. It's all God's doing. I need, to run, I need to understand that. I need to, I need to view myself and realizing there's nothing that I bring to the table. It's everything that God in Christ has done for me. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And now he's given you and I that ministry of reconciliation. And I look at that and go, Lord, <laughs> me? You would actually trust me? I can't, I, I can't even get Sunday morning announcements done straight. And yet you're giving me the ministry of reconciliation. You're giving me the word of reconciliation. I can actually share a life-changing message with people. And that's the truth. That's what God does for you and I. He trusts you and I with the ministry of reconciliation. He's not sending emails to people. There's that one show out there, God Friended Me. He's not doing, he's not on Facebook. 
you know, he's not going to all of a sudden shine out this big, you know, there's a big video screen, you know, and then he's going to say, I love the world, you know, accept me as your, he's given that to you and I to do. And look at verse 20. Now then, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He has given you and I the position of ambassador. Think about what an ambassador is. You know, they usually, they usually go to a foreign country. And so in a foreign country, they spend their lives there. Sometimes they're an ambassador for a long period of time. Their life is usually spent in the, when they're in that role of as an ambassador with people of, that speak a different language. They don't even speak the same language. Um, they have a different tradition, possibly. Uh, they maybe even have a different way of living. This ambassador, he's like, he's kind of in a foreign, well, he's literally in a, he or she, they're in a foreign, a foreign country. An ambassador speaks for their own country. What they say, their voice is the voice of their country. So when an ambassador says, uh, you know, we're not going to put up with this, it's as if the leader of that country or the government of that country is saying, we're not going to put up with this. It's the exact same thing. They're speaking on behalf of a country, of their country. Their voice is the voice of their government. The other side of that, too, is as people look at the ambassador and they see him as the representation of the country that he represents. And so the, the reputation of the country is judged by their ambassador. The words, you know, they listen to their words. What are they saying? Uh, they look at how they live their lives. What are they doing? Um, and they get their opinion. Well, that must be the way the country is because they're representing the country. It's the same for you and I as ambassadors for Christ. Hey, we don't speak the same language. We speak Christianese. Sometimes you got to remember that. You don't want to speak Christianese to people that don't speak the language. You have to, you know, speak in a language that people understand. But the reality is we talk different. We, we look at things different. We live our lives differently. That's what an ambassador does. And people are watching you and I, and they're saying, hmm, you're an ambassador for Christ, so this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Man, that's kind of a heavy thing, isn't it? It's like, uh, whoa. <laughs> You know, Paul's, Paul says, you know, follow me for I follow Christ. And maybe you're asking, don't follow me, man. Just listen to what I'm saying, but don't do what I'm doing. You know, we, of course, shouldn't live our lives that way. But that's what an ambassador for Christ is. That's, that's the importance of being an ambassador. And you and I were ambassadors of Christ, and we've been given the ministry or the word, the Bible says here, the word of reconciliation so what is the word of reconciliation? Reconciliation, it's a word that means to change or to exchange and, and in reference to coins. So in other words, you're changing, you're, you're changing money uh, of a certain value to get things that are not, you know, maybe, maybe uh, for example, 
if you go up to Canada, you know, they're, they're exchange, there's an exchange rate on the U.S. dollar. I don't know what it is right now. But years ago, the U.S. dollar was worth more than the Canadian. I, again, I have no idea what it is right now. Um, but so you would take your money and you'd have to exchange it for Canadian money. And so you either, depending on the exchange rate, you either get more money, Canadian money, or less Canadian money. Um, but, but you had to, there, that's what that reconciliation is. Um, it's reconciling those things that are at variance with each other. Now, the way I look at reconciliation, the, 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 what helps me to, to remember it is my checkbook. Reconciling my checkbook. You know, I do that probably about once a month. And uh, it's not so bad now, but I remember in the early days, uh, my wife, she would learn... Oh, he's paying the bills. He's reconciling. I'm just going to leave him alone and <laughs> just close the door. <laughs> you know, just don't bug him because it would be stressful. And uh, uh, anyways, that's, that's just me. But, but when I think of reconciliation, I think of a checkbook. You know, every once in a while, at least hopefully you're doing this. You should be anyways. Every once in a while, you should be looking at your bank statement and saying, okay, the bank says I've got X amount of money. My checkbook, hmm, it uh, doesn't quite match up. In my experience, maybe your experiences are different. In my experience, every time there's been a difference, there's been a variance, so far, it's always been me that's been off. I've never, I've never had the bank, oh, bank, you gave me $10,000 and I didn't, you know, I, I don't know where it came from, or you took 10,000 out, you know, I wouldn't have 10,000 to take out, but, you know, it's never been it's never been the bank's issue. It's always been me. And so, in order to be reconciled, I have to change my checkbook to match what the bank says to get it to where it's reconciled. Now, in being reconciled to God, there is a there is a variance. And it's not God. It's never God that has to change. It's man that needs to change. Well, what's that variance? Well, God has a standard of holiness. And man, mankind, the Bible says we've missed the mark. That's what the word sin means. It's missing the mark. We've sinned. We, we don't measure up to that standard. So there's a difference. There's a variance there. And so in order to be reconciled, there's an exchange. Something has to take place. Something has to, uh, to, to be changed to bring it to where it's equal. The problem is I have nothing to bring to the table. I have nothing that I can use to facilitate the change between God's standard of holiness and myself. Well, I can try to be as holy as I, you know, maybe, okay, I'm not going to swear anymore. I'm going to help little ladies across the street. I'm going to wear my seatbelt every time I get in my car. I'm going to recycle. You know, I'm going to do everything that good things, you know, uh, find a little animal and bring it to the, to the pound or, or not the pound, whatever they call that place. <laughs> There's nothing that I can do to bring that level of my unholiness up to God's standard of holiness. I'm unable to facilitate. There's, I have nothing of value to add to the equation. But you see, that's the good news of the gospel. Going back to verse 18, now all things are of God because he's the one who's reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. He did it for us. Well, how did he do it? Well, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Jesus Christ born without sin and he was made sin on the cross. He was judged for your and my sin on the cross. And so there's an exchange. My guilt, my shame, my sin was laid on him. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And then he gave me and you, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he gave me his righteousness. It's not even my righteousness. Again, there's nothing that I bring to the table. That's the exchange. And it's all that God did it. I, 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 I'm just a recipient of it, just like you are. Well, the next question is, maybe I, I'm praying, I, hopefully we're praying right now that those that are watching if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and maybe this is, you know, kind of like new news to you, you might be asking, you know, well, how can I be reconciled? I mean, okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but how does it take place in a person's life? Is it just automatic? Well, it's not automatic, but it's easy. Easy for you and for I. Of course, it wasn't easy for Jesus Christ because he died. He paid the ultimate price for it. But for you and I, it's very easy. It's as easy as A, B, C. Seriously. Well, A, what's the first thing? The first thing is you got to admit that you're a sinner or acknowledge that you're a sinner. In Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You know, you can go and say, okay, you know, from here on out, I'm not going to cuss. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm never going to steal anything. You know, you, you go, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the Ten Commandments from here on out. You know, the problem with that is you've already lived your life. I mean, you, you were born and you've committed sin. And, and the Bible says if you've committed, if you violated one sin, you violated it all. You're a lawbreaker. And so there's nothing that you and I, uh, there's none righteous. So even, even if you say, okay, from here on out, I'm never going to sin. I mean, it's, it's too late. You've already sinned. You're a lawbreaker. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That variance, we fall short. God's glory is here and we're way down. You can't even see us on the scale. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And the problem with that, of course, is Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. According to speaking of eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first thing we need to do is A, admit you're a sinner. The Bible says confessing it, confessing that you're a sinner. The next thing is B, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Pretty simple, isn't it? Just believe in your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you have to believe that Jesus, he lived, he lived the perfect life. He died for your and my sins and he rose again from the dead. That's believing. And it's not just, well, I know who Jesus is. No, it's believing on him, putting your trust in him. And that leads us to the last letter, C, and that is calling upon the name of the Lord. 
confess you're a sinner, admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and then finally call unto the Lord. Call out to him. Pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read Romans 10, 9 again, but I'm going to go a little bit further. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, if you do this, you will be saved. That's God's word. It's not my word. It's God's word to you. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That means Jewish person and Gentile person. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do you get reconciled? Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And then call out to him. Pray out to him. Ask, say, Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Please come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. The Bible says if you do those things, it's as simple as ABC, you will be saved. That's God's promise. It's not my promise. It's God's promise to you. We're going to be closing here in just a few moments. And I'm going to give everybody an opportunity. We'll we'll pray together together. But I want to share something for uh, those of us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, you know, it's like you're preaching to the choir. Preacher, you know, we know all this. So hopefully you're encouraged about the ministry of reconciliation. Because really that should be our focus, our aim. Um, I have a friend, and uh, I'm not not on Facebook very much, but I caught one of his uh, things on Facebook, and he was telling me that he was at a gas station, and he saw a police officer come out and was filling up his car. I suppose he was probably in a uniform or something. And he goes, I went to my trunk, and I had, uh, or he says, I had a policeman's Bible. And so I went over to the policeman, and I gave him a policeman's Bible. And, and I said, can I pray for you? And he says, the policeman was just so grateful, you know, just in the climate today that, you know, there's so much ugliness right now. And these police officers are defending. They're, they're, they're keeping you and I safe. They're keeping, you know, uh, so that you and I can go out in the street without getting mugged or killed or whatever, beat up. The policemen are doing such a valuable, and of course there are policemen that have, you know, done things that have violated stuff. They've, you know, they're bad cops, but man, <laughs> the majority of police officers, man, they love people. They're, they're there to, to protect and to serve. And so this police officer was just blown away by somebody who would come up to him, thank him, give him a Bible, what a good thing to do, and pray for him. And I was sharing this with my wife as I was, you know, preparing for this message this past week. And I said, you know, that's something that I really... I think for me, again, I've heard this message before. I, I, I know the gospel. But for me as a believer, it's like, Lord, I pray that I would be more intentional with the word of reconciliation. More intentional. You know, maybe just instead of, and, and, and I shared this with her, I said, you know, sometimes I'm just like, you know, okay, I, I start my day and go, Lord, I pray that you would give me a divine appointment. And if you do, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage of it. And sometimes I do, sometimes I, I don't. Um, but I said, you know, what I really want to do is be more intentional. And so that's my encouragement to each of us here and those of you that are watching is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, realize you've got this wonderful ministry and it's an awesome, it's an awesome ministry. And, and, and then be intentional about doing the word of reconciliation. 
I thought that was a great idea to keep, you know, certain types of Bibles with you. And so you come to a situation. But I would pray that that would be our, our goal, to be intentional with the ministry of reconciliation.